Hello and welcome to another Rich Change the Square Theatre podcast with my guest today, David Badiel. And if you enjoy these podcasts, why not come and support me live? I am going to be on at the Edinburgh Fringe very imminently if you're watching this shortly after it has been released. Uh, I am at, um, oh no, it's gone away. I'm at the Pleasance One. I don't need to look that up at 7.30 uh, from the 2nd of August to the 26th of August every single day. Big venue, book tickets now. Uh, and I'm also doing three Edinburgh Fringe podcasts at the Grand Hall at the Newtown Theatre on the 4th, 11th and 18th of August at 13.50. Um, that is a time, uh, and uh, I thought those were Saturday afternoons, they're Friday afternoons. It's a big room again, but book ahead and come and see me, it's going to be fun. Anyway, go to richchain.com slash gigs, and you can see all the info about those, or if you're in the future about what gigs I'm doing now, or if you're in the far future, just my obituary will be there. Okay, hopefully the very distant future. Let's watch Richard Haynes' Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Or listen to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who for the last two days has fallen asleep at two o'clock in the afternoon, but not today, so he might fall asleep during the podcast. It's Richard Herring! Hello, hello! How are we doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Should have killed me last year. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming along. Welcome to Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was talking to Dappy from N-Dubs today. He's quite depressed. Uh, he was in prison. Uh, and uh, he calls it rehearsal. I don't, I don't know if that's going to catch on. Uh, so, yeah, I've been having afternoon naps. I'm very... I'm so old. Uh, I've turned 50. I'm getting very, uh, getting very busy. And uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's been awful, uh, just having a, having a horrible child to look after. It's, uh, getting, getting up early. She's nice, actually. The other day, um, I, put my, I put like three pounds down on the sofa, just emptied my pockets, and she went, she went up to her and grabbed it and went, money. Uh, just like, sort of, Gollum. Uh, so she, money. She's only two and a bit. She knows what it is. And she knows what it's for. And she took it, and she put it in the little top, cute little top pocket. I mean, this was very much a kind of metaphor for how our life is going to be. The very police said, no, mine, mine. She really was doing this whole Gollum thing. I said, all right, fine, you can have it. What are you going to spend it on? And she said, she thought for a second, then said, biscuits. Uh, so she's uh, definitely my daughter. I have all the things. I mean, she, could, she doesn't know money, what value money has. For her, for her, three pounds might be enough to buy a yacht, from, as far as she knows, but biscuits, biscuits. That's what she would like, and that's what I would like as well. If I had unlimited money, I would just buy biscuits. Um, what does that say there? Oh yeah, that's why I'm going to introduce him. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I was slightly depressed. I mean, it's been, it's been depressing living in West London recently anyway, for various reasons. Uh, but I was, I was very depressed uh, walking down Wood Lane the other day and seeing uh, BBC TV Centre is uh, being taken apart and turned into flats. It just feels like a ter you know, terrible tragedy. That meant so much to me in my childhood, seeing Roy Castle tap dancing around that fountain and then I, that's where I, I, you know, I couldn't believe how lucky I was to work there in the 1990s uh, never again since then uh, and it's, uh, it's sort of just awful to see it just, it's just symbolic of a lot of stuff that's happening in London especially the other side of the Westfield uh, is the Grenfell Tower and you can see that it's almost a mirror image of these two these affluent people on one side and this, the poverty of London and the disgrace that's happened on the other side uh, but you know it's nice to know that people are going to buy some flats uh, in TV centre, and I wonder if they say this is the flat in which Jimmy Savile abused those kids. They, this is the, this is where. If you want to have that, do you want? Would you like to live in that flat, or would you prefer one of the others? It's a way. It's a little trick we've got of finding out whether we should send you to prison. 
So anyway, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, my guest uh, tonight. He's probably best known, and I don't remember this myself, so I'm going to find out if this is true, as playing the character Mark Allen in This Morning with Richard Not Judy. <laughs> no memory of that at all. Uh, and do remember that David No Deal is better than David Baddiel. Uh, it's... <laughs> Which works better when you say David Baddy, like my dad does. It's David Baddy, ladies and gentlemen. Here he is. Here he is. David Nodeal's better. Wish we'd got David Nodeal. Because he's better. He's better. Come in, put you have to pick up a mic. Come in, come on in. It's just sitting on it. Nice. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. How are you? Good. I noticed you've said you fell asleep at two o'clock. Yeah, I do that a lot. Do now. you? Yeah, constantly yeah. falling asleep. <laughs> Any time of the day or night, like Grandpa Simpson. Yeah. When I was younger, I didn't really understand why Grandpa Simpson <laughs> did that, but now I do. It's horrible, though, because you fall into a very deep sleep. Very this. deep and troubling sleep. <laughs> yeah. Where you expect to wake up as an enormous beetle. Yeah. I've noticed. Yeah. Well, I, I woke, one of the times I woke up and I could hear my wife downstairs, like, oh, my wife's got up early to do the... To bring up to get the baby up, and then it was six o'clock in the evening. Instead of really? Yeah. So I was really confused about what what was. You've happening. married quite a young woman, though, like an old showbiz person, haven't you? <laughs> You're like Des O'Connor in that respect. Ages. <laughs> Age is just a number, Dave. Because Richard used to be a bit of a shagger in the old days. You know, he was talking about the invisibility cloak. In the old days, unbelievably, Richard was a bit of a shagger. Uh, and then eventually, what's good about that is that you can sort of wait until you're far too old for anyone to actually have sex with you and yeah. then think, oh, I'll find the one who will. Yeah. And she'll be quite young. Well, I got my wife just at the exact right moment, just when I was just, just seemed to she, be still attractive. Just when she'd given up. <laughs> no, and then I always looked all right. She thought she'd got a deal and then bang. Yeah. All, bang, it was a bad deal. deal. <laughs> it was, no deal was better than a bad deal for your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Does that mean she'd shag me? Um, I'm trying to work out if she would. No, with that no, joke. no deal would be better than no that. No deal would be better than that, David, okay. David, no deal. Look out for him. Uh, so, uh, do you remember being in This Morning, Richard, not you? I was never in that. What are you talking well, about? It's on your IMDb page, and it says the character Mark Allen. It's like A-double-L-A-double-L. It's a very specific... Oh, it's, it's an anagram of mine, name, is it? Mark Allen, it's no. It's an anagram no, of anal, know, no, anal. I mean, if I was trying to add stuff to my IMDB page, because <laughs> I'm desperate for my career to look a bit better, that is the last place I would go. It's very specific to name a character. I think yeah. it might have been in the ironic review or something like that in the background or something. No, like I was not in it, for fuck's sake, You're honestly. nearly in it. I, I don't remember you being in it. In the um, old days, yeah. uh, some of you may remember this, Newman and Badil were the new rock and roll, uh, and we were like the Beatles, and uh, Lee and Herring were like Freddie and the Dreamers. <laughs> they were basically the shit ones, that's what I'm saying. So I wouldn't have done it. I'd have thought, I can't go near them. We asked, you to be, we asked to be in Fist of Fun, yeah. and you couldn't do that either. That's uh, definitely that. You're going to be in this, the sketch about when Jesus comes knocking on the door, and then there's a bald man, and there's people asking for money, and then just increasingly strange. I'm not bald. No, it wasn't for you. Oh, and, right. then, and then at the end, it, come, it was going to come in, there would be loads of people, and you go, hello, oh, it's David Vadil. go, hello, I'm David Vadil. I do a lot of work with a disenfranchise. <laughs> um, for some reason, we found that really funny. No, it's uh, funny. And, uh, it's quite funny. You can do it, so Annabelle Giles did it instead. No, but hang on, why didn't I get that gig? Because you couldn't do it. You wanted Because I was too busy being Mark Allen. <laughs> Mark Allen with yeah. double L. No, oh, I'm glad you went in it because I thought my mind's really going if I can't remember that. Anyway, let's crack on with uh, the podcast, the old podcast we're doing. Yeah. That's what, that's, let's, we don't want to talk about the past. Let's talk about the present, the near present. Uh, so, that's not uh, why anyone's come. Okay. <laughs> so you and Rob Newman met up recently. <laughs> Actually, that is true. Yeah. yeah uh, a sort of strange thing happened, which I was doing, 
I'm doing a show at the moment, uh, not doing it right at the moment, but I was doing a show uh, in the West End called My Family, Not the Sitcom, which is a show about my family. And uh, really oddly, Rob Newman, who I don't really see, I have bumped into him about five times since we split up very badly in the 1990s. But, you know, it's been fine. But then suddenly he tweets me, and I don't think Rob quite understands Twitter, because he tweeted me, can I have two comps for your show? <laughs> and I think he thought it was the private direct message bit, because what happened immediately was that loads of people started taking the piss out of him <laughs> for begging for tickets for my show. Uh, and so anyway, he did come, and he was very, very nice about it. Good. Which I thought he might not be, but he was. Yeah. He was lovely about it. He's nice. What he did it? say was that he couldn't come backstage. Oh, really? Yeah. He said he had to go and look after his child. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. that's fair enough. It is fair enough, but I thought it might be a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the show, we're talking of the show My Family, not sitcom. Is it about your family or the sitcom? The family, yeah. My Family. It's, about, it's a show about my family. <laughs> okay, the with, sitcom. Yeah, with Robert Lindsay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Robert Lindsay has been to see it, actually. Has he? <laughs> yeah, he's been to see it. He was a bit confused. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, it's a show about my family. Yeah, it's really good. I've seen it uh, two times. T twice, even. At least, at least two times. <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, thank you. It's we you know, I know you've talked about this a lot, but it's it's as a comedian, it's quite interesting, and I think we we have as we're, we're similarly very honest, I think, in our work and in our lives because we sort of can't stop ourselves being. Yeah. I think no, you so is, more than me. That is true. Is that people? The show, if anyone hasn't seen it is a show about my parents, primarily. My mum died in 2014 and my dad's got dementia. And the primary idea of the show, really, is that when people die, or indeed when they get dementia, we start talking about them like they're fucking angels. Like We start talking about them like they're one... Like at my mum's funeral, I had all these people come to me and tell me that she was wonderful. And the thing that bound all the people together who were saying that was they didn't really know her. It was very clear to me. I thought, you've never met her. You've no idea who the fuck she was. Uh, and the thing is, my mum was mental. I mean, completely fucking mental. And the main thing in my mum's life was that she was obsessed with golf. And the reason that she was obsessed with golf is that she had a long-term affair with a golfing memorabilia salesman. And I thought, no one's mentioning this at the funeral. It's completely being left out. And, and that bothered me, because I thought, well, this isn't the woman who I know, right? And I don't want to erase her out of existence with the idea that she was wonderful. So I started doing a show which details exactly what happened uh, when my mum fell in love with the golfing memorabilia salesman yeah. and also about my dad's dementia. But here's the interesting thing about that, I think, is a lot of people, when they were reviewing that show or talking about that show, were saying it was brave. It's not brave. I'm basically emotionally incontinent. And I want to tell people all the time the most embarrassing, vulnerable stuff about me. Yeah. I feel much happier doing that than, than, than not doing it. You know, a lot of people, I think, in, have this idea of the British yeah. as being like not wanting to talk about that stuff. But what they aren't thinking about is the Jewish, right? <laughs> the Jewish want to tell that stuff all the fucking time. Yeah. Men as well, because men are supposed to not be able to, to express their emotions. That's not true about Jewish men. They're always expressing their emotions, as far as I can make out. So I, so I never thought that was the brave part of it. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. And I, but I also think with all those, any show in which you open your, you know, your life up and your heart up a little bit, everyone in the audience will have not exactly the same thing. My mum, for example... Never, never had, had an affair, affair with a golfing member of It's be fucking amazing if she had. We'd almost definitely be half-brothers if she had. But uh, she does like golf, though, so now... You oh, really? Thinking, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, uh, <laughs> Did but, one day she suddenly start to like <laughs> golf? Right. I don't, yeah. Anyway. Uh, but you know, we've all got we've all got those skeletons in the, the closet, and you know, we've all got stuff. I think you know that you feel like when I did Talking Cock, which wasn't a personal show. But wasn't was about it? well, it wasn't about me. Particularly, it was about you know because it was a, it was a lots of people's experience. 
But loads of times, like, like a big burly man would come back into the, into the venue after it's closed. Oh, I've left my cigarettes here. Is that, I was glad I'm not the only one who's uh, yeah. <laughs> snapped his banjo string or whatever it was. Right. Uh, and what, then walk what, out again. What does that mean? Um, well, you know on the underside of your penis. No, you, I've got a different penis to you. Uh, do you think you've still got this bit? Have I? I don't want to get them I out. Hope, I, I hope really so. don't want to get them out. But I mean, I should know. I'm worried, the... I'm worried that a circumcised penis might not have the I banjo think it string. Does. I think it does. Does what? anyone... Has anyone... Oh, someone's put their hand to, up. Yes. Someone's put their hand up. Yeah, I don't think... They, got a banjo, I don't so, yeah, think they But could, you might be a country and western star, <laughs> for all I know. <laughs> I don't think they could take it. It's the, very, it's the most sensitive part of the penis, is it? OK, I've got a sensitive part. It's definitely. on the underside, and it would connect the... But it sort of connects the glands the bit, the, yeah. to... Not even the foreskin, to but sort of the foreskin. Not to the foreskin. Whatever, whatever yeah. else. Well, not to, for you, to yeah, the foreskin. To the head. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that can break. Can it? Yeah. Well, if you wank a lot, or... uh, well, if you're um, usually dry humping or um, or having kind of sex and it's not quite lubricated. Oh, enough. that sounds important. Has that happened to you a lot? No, it's not happened to me, but it's happened to quite a lot of people. <laughs> okay. So, it's, uh, you know, but people feel that. Yes, well, you're right. Though. You're right to... in that one of the things about this show that I, I I've got a very particular family experience and. No one has had that family experience, and it's very detailed in the show about exactly how my mum had this affair, and also about my dad's specific type of dementia. My dad has a type of dementia called Pick's disease, and the thing about Pick's disease, some of the audience may know this, but it's a frontotemporal dementia, and it, the symptoms of Pick's disease include obscenity, mood swings, irritation, bursts of anger, and when the neurologist first told me this list of symptoms about my dad, I said, sorry, does he have a disease or have you just met him? Because <laughs> my dad was always like that. And so the show is really about those two things. It's about sort of how you remember people and how someone who hasn't got any memory can still be himself. And what I noticed was that people who hadn't had those experiences would still want to come and tell me about their family experiences, yeah. even if they were completely different. Yeah. I think just because, I mean, maybe it is because we're repressed in the United Kingdom, or maybe it's just, you know, people, you, you feel like those things are shameful. You know, that's the normal reaction, I suppose, isn't it? To think, oh, my, my mum's had an affair with someone, I should be ashamed of it. Yeah, but that's odd because she should be ashamed <laughs> of it. <laughs> I'm not ashamed no. of it at all. But, you know, I'm not, no, but actually, I'm not ashamed of it for her as well. No, no. The show is a celebration I'm, of, I'm, of how mental my parents were and how, and how they were the worst parents in the world. It's a celebration it comes, of that. It is, it's a celebration. I think that generation of parents, because I grew up in the 60s and 70s, I think they did not have the word parenting. That's what they didn't have. I'll give you an example. I mean, this is rather, I don't want to give away everything that happens in my show, but one of the things that happens in my show, that this bloke's name, who my mum had an affair with, was called David. And this led to a number of problems. One of the problems was I talk about listening to my parents having sex, uh, you know, not like in a really horrible way. I was just next door and awake. <laughs> and, uh, and one time my mum was on her own. Uh, and she's masturbating. I talk about this in the show, and that's fine in and of itself. I don't judge her for that. But at the end of it, she shouted three times the word David. <laughs> now, that was confusing for me, right? It was confusing for me. I was thinking about going next door and going, yes, what? How the hell? But, but the point about it is, and I didn't say this in the show, that's, that's from the show, but I didn't say this in the show, which is, I think that shows at some level the difference between parents then and parents now, because... I have a child, for example, my daughter is called Dolly. Now, in the unlikely event that I was having an affair with someone called Dolly and then masturbating whilst thinking about this woman, I don't think... I think I would at least restrain myself from shouting out three times the word Dolly. I think I'd really think about that before I did that. Your, your daughter's called Phoebe, isn't she? Yeah, she is. Yeah. You, you interested in anyone else called Phoebe? No. Phoebe from uh, Goodnight Sweetheart, but yeah. that's the character. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's why we called a fever. Yeah. 
Did you really? No. Okay. Yeah. My wife only realised. I, 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 in my the sitcom I'm writing about uh, alternate. Because uh, you're universes. obsessed with Good Night, sweetheart. Oh yeah. Well, I, I thought I, I, I named the characters in it Gary and Phoebe after after the characters in Good Night, sweetheart. I think I wrote it before. I think I had the idea before that my, we'd called our Phoebe Phoebe, and then my wife said I don't like you calling the character Phoebe because it's like it feels like. You've, and then yeah. I realised we had to call her Yvonne anyway because Yvonne is the, is actually Gary's uh, wife in the present day. So it made more sense to change the name anyway. Yeah. There's a little bit of behind the scenes for that sitcom that you'll probably never see because it's almost certain never to happen. Uh, I, you know, it's. I, I, Did you actually watch Good Night Sweetheart? Yeah, I watched on. it all the way through. I'm not probably a, the, the, a bit when it was on, but then I became obsessed with it when it was repeated on ITV3. <laughs> partly because you go, why is this on ITV? This was a BBC show. Yeah, What's it was. going on? Yeah, it was. That's, that, is that like time travel? That, yeah, that made it to a different commission. Yeah. That's amazing. And then it was on at like four o'clock in the afternoon or something when I was, was always asleep. Watching. When you were asleep. Yeah, when yeah. I wouldn't know. In those days I was awake and I would always watch it when I was meant to be writing. And I, I came up with various ideas and one of the ideas was the idea of a writer who was trying to write sitcoms but not getting anywhere, right. becoming obsessed with the sitcom Goodnight Sweetheart <laughs> and then going to the Goodnight Sweetheart, the passageway, going through it and then finding himself on the set of Goodnight Sweetheart That's in the a, 1990s. Yeah, it's a bit meta. And then, Just uh, a touch. And then being able to write the scripts of Goodnight Sweetheart because he had all the DVDs of Goodnight Sweetheart. <laughs> that would be a terrible... <laughs> It's very funny, very funny, but it would be a terrible thing to do if you had the power to go back in time and you thought, I know what I'll do with this. Yeah. I'll write fucking Goodnight Sweetheart. That would be but awful. what does Gary that... Sparrow do? That's the point. So he's very critical of Gary Sparrow. When Hang on, now, who's saying... that? Is that Rodney? Yeah, Rodney, yeah. Rodney. <laughs> so he's very critical of Gary Sparrow for going back and exactly what you're saying. Why would you have time travel and then just go back and get off with the first barmaid you've ever seen in the first pub, not even go to the yeah. second pub. And I imagine check. because I couldn't bother to build another exactly. set. Exactly. <laughs> so then ironically, having said that, he goes back and does the same thing himself and realises, you know, and then how much does it affect? Right. It's not going to happen, David. It was a stupid <laughs> idea, but it got as far as me meeting Marks or Gran uh, right. to discuss it. All right. One how of the two. How were they? Uh, well, it was one of them. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it was nice. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Okay. Um, uh, well, yeah, it's. I want to. Maybe come back to. We might come back to talking about my family. It's, I, I think as a comedian, it's very interesting to I'm see. I'm doing it in Montreal, actually. Yeah, I'm doing you're... it at the Montreal Comedy Festival. I'm touring next year with it, and I'm doing it in Montreal. And uh, I'm looking forward to Montreal, but I. That, you know, the show isn't, you know, UK specific. But even that thing that I've just told you about my mum and masturbating, I sort of think, will Canadians be all right with that? They do. Do you know what I mean? They like, do masturbate. Do they? Yeah. <laughs> What, even Justin Trudeau? Yeah, he does. That with his not. lovely face. <laughs> I can't believe it. He's the only Canadian I can think of. There must be others. Neil Young. He probably equality, needs. equality, equality, as he's called. Oh, blimey. That's, what oh, he that's does. extraordinary. Thank you. Yeah. It's your banjo string, all right? <laughs> Just to look. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful show, and, and I think the thing is it, the, the, that comes across is that I think with families, you sort of, there's that. The honesty you have between the actual family members, you know, it's both honesty and dishonesty. But the, you, when you're in that group, you know each other are crazy and you know each other's foibles and stuff. Yes. And so it, the, every family's like that. So I think even though you're, you know, you're admitting kind of yeah. other people's secrets as well. Which it's mainly sort other of, people's, It's yeah. sort of weird. But it's, yeah, but it's, 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 it's really interesting. It is other people's stuff. And, you know, although I think someone said to me about the show said, I think it's okay because I think a child or a son or whatever has copyright over their parents' lives. Yeah. I don't know. Do we think that's true? I mean, are there parents in the ear? Or... I think you do, don't you? I think you, uh, certainly uh, my mum's 
dead and yeah. I am very much not a believer in an afterlife so I kind of think it doesn't make any difference with my dad my still being alive and having dementia that's more complicated and yeah. I sort of try and deal with that in the show and it leads to a bit that I think is actually more moving than it is funny because I think I try to complicate the idea of my dad and who he actually was uh, but I do think that when you try and make sense of your own life as a comedian or a writer or whatever, you have to be able to talk about what your parents were like in truth, otherwise you get nowhere. Yeah, and it's true. And I think, you know, I think a lot of people wait until their parents are dead or you yeah. know, uh, to, to talk about it. But it's, I think it's very, it's very much from a place of love. It's a very moving show. It's a very mm. funny show. And, you, you know, you'll push... The, I don't, again, I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, I don't want to give it away. You, you push sort of things and you're very far and, you know, you'll end up making a joke about... Uh, I won't say what it is, but, you know, it's because I don't want to spoil it because it's a brilliant line. But, it's, but you know, if you took some of those lines out of context, yes. you'd go, that's an incredibly offensive thing. Yeah, no, there's lots of really offensive stuff in it, but it's hopefully... It, well, I don't really believe in the concept of offensiveness, to be honest, but there is some stuff that pushes... I begin the show by talking about social media and about how on social media now you basically can't make a joke without someone else getting offended, whatever it's about. Uh, they'll find a way of being offended because being offended is a way of turning up the volume on who you are. That's, I think, why most people get offended on social media. They're not actually interested in the joke. or, or the, Sometimes they are, but a lot of time they're not. What they really want to do is just say who they are for, by, through being angry. Although, having said that, I was going to talk about this thing that I happened yeah, yeah, to, talk about that to notice. Well. Uh, I'd already written it down so, in my book. So okay, it's some of you might have seen this because it actually got in The Guardian eventually. But uh, yesterday, I um, was talking about um, Glastonbury. And I did a slightly, I did, it's a daddish joke, really. I did this joke, uh, Ed Sheeran had just come on. Uh, and I wrote on Twitter, oh no, someone's got onto the main stage, or the, the main act at Glastonbury is being held up because the stage has been invaded by some busker. Right, uh, and she didn't go very well here. So there's the dad joke, right? No, and, but then that got. But one person immediately, I mean immediately, wrote, "No, no, that is the headline act. It's Ed Sheeran." Immediately, right? And that's what happens on Twitter. Immediately. And there is a actually a Twitter. You probably know this. A Twitter feed designed to help you with that called "Yes, That's the Joke." And so I sent it to "Yes, That's the Joke." But then someone else sent me to a, a woman had written. Hang on, I've just got to find this. You can you. Uh, Talk amongst yourself, oh, Richard. Yeah, you I'll could talk, talk for a I'll, bit. I'll, I'll talk so, well, anyway, the woman. Oh fuck! Hang on, I've got a Skype connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, someone's no. skyping me from the afterlife. It's Justin Trudeau's going to wank over the yeah <laughs> over the internet for him. Yeah. Um, a woman said, "Does anyone know about this?" What I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, some people don't. Some people do. Uh, a woman said uh, that about Barry Gibb that she thought it was a real shame that he didn't have any of his own material and he kept on having to do songs by Boyzone and take that, right? <laughs> better, better joke than mine, I'm, I'm quite clearly. And uh, So anyway, I'm, I can't find the fucking answer, but immediately, I mean, like, you should go and see it. It's an incredibly long thread. People start saying things like, well, you shouldn't say that because, you know, he's a master and actually those songs were by him originally, right? And it goes on forever yeah, yeah. and she's really brilliant with it. She's very patient with these people, but the, the, I'll, I'll find the really funny one in a minute. But what, what I was really interested in was one bloke who said, 
Because she said, no, no, it's a joke, mate. It's a joke. And he went, no, if it was a joke, you'd have indicated it in some way. And you know what that fucking means? You know what that means on Twitter? 15 crying, laughing emojis. That's what that means. And that's the end of comedy. If that's the only way that people know that it's a joke by putting one of them, we'll have to hold up placards on stage. Well, there's even someone in one of the threads who's saying, I don't think, you, you know, you're saying that now, but I don't think it was a joke when you wrote it. You know, so, so people yeah. are trying to... Try to cover them. I mean, in the old days, not getting a joke would have been the worst thing. That would have been the most embarrassing thing. That someone made a joke and you didn't get it and you were yeah. an idiot. And now, and now it's sort of almost the, the mainstream is not getting jokes. And the people getting, I think people getting offended by things is, is so bizarre. Because again, when we were kids, there was Mary Whitehouse and, you know, they were the sort of enemy, weren't they? Not the o'clock news or something would be on or the young yeah. ones would be on and there'd be people complaining and you'd be going, oh, fuck off. You know, that, this, is, this is our comedy. You know, you, if you don't like it, go away. And with TV, maybe it's a bit understandable if people are complaining about stuff, but now everyone's sort of Mary Whitehouse. Everyone's trying to get in there and look for the, yeah, the offence in a, in a joke. Yeah. Which is... Well, I think the people who were uh, uh, getting cross with her felt they were defending Barry Gibb. Yeah. I don't know if he needs defending <laughs> no. Barry Gibb, does he? I mean, he's, he's very wealthy a, he's and very happy. He's had a tough time. He's lost both of his brothers. That's true, but yeah, I don't... Yeah, so I, he, shouldn't, he shouldn't... I mean, but it's not really mocking him, is it? It's saying... What I noticed about this woman, she's called Rachel Burns, I don't know who she is, who did that joke about, uh, you know, to shame Barry Gibb hasn't got more material and has to do stuff by Boyzone. When, when people said, no, you don't understand, these, he wrote those songs originally... She did lots of sort of funny deadpan responses, but mainly ended up saying, no, no, it's a joke. What she didn't say, which I thought would have been interesting if she had done, was to say, what I'm doing is pretending to be stupid. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that happens with comedy, but she never did that, and I yeah. wondered if that would have blown their minds, that idea. <laughs> I think you're so used to, people are so used to it, and so used to coming in on stuff. I, mean, I had one the other day where, where Theresa May was wearing something like, it looked like a cowl or something you know in one of the pits it looked like she had she was turning into the emperor from star wars and so i, right. I made a joke about you know she's, she's not even hiding it or whatever anymore and someone said yes just typical comment on a woman's clothing oh, yeah, you know yeah, you kind of yeah, go yeah. Yeah. But no, I'm not. I mean, no, it would have been to not point it out. It's not sexist to point out when a woman's wearing something that's ridiculous. Well, obviously, well, well, one of the big issues is because is th this woman, Rachel, got a lot of people mansplaining to yeah, her, yeah. which I think is what happens. But then I, I, I sent people to it because I thought it was a very interesting and funny thread, and she was being really funny. Uh, and I said, oh, uh, anyone who ever wants to make a joke on Twitter, just read this thread. It's kind of, you know, cautionary tale. Right, this is what happens when you make a joke on Twitter. And, that, and I, one woman said to me, no, 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 this is what happens when a woman makes a joke on Twitter. And I thought, well, no, that's not fucking true. Yeah. I'm sorry. I could show you thousands of examples of men making jokes and people not getting them yeah. and getting angry about it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's true. It's, there's a bit of truth in both, I think. In yeah. that I, th I think um, that men are more likely to jump in and... Oh, well, men are more likely to jump in. Well, actually, it was, it was, she was getting a bit of both. Yeah. She was I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just stupid people, really. Stupid which luckily, people. in the word of equality, includes both women and men. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's sort of interesting as a comedian to have those, those issues, I think, and to be have made to think about it. I think a lot of times on Twitter, I just start writing something and go, oh, I can't be bothered. What? Sometimes, if I'm not in the... If I'm not, I just start writing something and think... Someone's not going to get this, and it's not, I can't be asked to, to do yeah. it. Sometimes I think I can be asked to do it, and I know they're going to do it, and I'll set the trap and let it go. Well, sometimes, but, uh, sometimes with that, because I do a lot of uh, on Twitter and actually in my show as well, using a screen, I do quite a lot of res of showing responses that people have done to me, trolls uh, or responses I've done to them, and and people sometimes say you shouldn't do that, 
you shouldn't feed the trolls, they say. But I think that's wrong, particularly as a comedian, because I think they're hecklers. Yeah. I think they're hecklers, and I think if you can put them down, that, that's entertaining. I remember once one bloke, uh, uh, someone had written some, something about how they'd read something about me. So, and they were doing a nice thing. They'd read this thing they liked it or whatever. And some bloke immediately wrote, the only thing I want to read about you is your obituary. And I wrote back, stop laughing. Uh, <laughs> and I wrote back, well, at least I'll fucking get one, mate. You see? <laughs> and I think that's a pretty good put down. Yeah. You know, and that means that I'm, as, whatever hurt I feel, and I probably do for a second feel hurt when a troll has a go at me, it immediately goes if I can transform it into material. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's possibly how I feel about my life, <laughs> to be honest. That's possibly what I was even doing with my mum and dad. Yeah. Because they, weren't, they were shit parents. I mean, I do love them, and I, I'm pleased in a way that they brought me up in such a damaging way, because otherwise I wouldn't be here. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be a comedian if they hadn't have decided to inflict quite a lot of neglect and damage on me, and my mum hadn't masturbated and called my name. I'm definitely... <laughs> I wouldn't be here. So I'm, ple I'm pleased that well, she that did that. Well, that implies that you can't become a comedian unless that has happened. <laughs> I, I don't think that. I'm I mean, sure, I think I would have blocked it out. <laughs> I'm sure similar stuff has happened to you. I don't know. I don't... I just really... You know, I don't think I had... My parents were a little bit strict, but not... not they were good parents, I think. I don't know. Your think dad I, was a headmaster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a weird experience, yeah. So maybe at your school you were at? Yeah. Yeah. That might well, what do you think? What, uh, no, but it's a good question, Richard Herring. Yeah. What is it that made you into a comedian? I really like, if, if not your parents. I really like comedy. I think, and, I, and when I did, I did a show about the headmaster. So I'm looking back at that time to see to see if I could blame my dad for the way I turned out. <laughs> and I kind of, in the end, I just thought, well, actually, no. Even before I went to that school, I was really obsessed with comedy. I've always been obsessed with sex and comedy, even since I was like, you know, right. a tiny kid. I was you can't always, blame your dad for either. No, of I can't those blame him for that. Yeah. Like, uh, and uh, and you know, and I think I was the person I was before before that stuff you went through that and I think you can start kind of I don't I think you're I'm not saying you've done this because I think your stuff the stuff that's happened to you is pretty extraordinary yeah. but I think you can start kind of looking for and I think people do it with their parents people are very critical of their parents and you've got to get used to that once you're a parent you've got to realise yeah. your kids are going to say oh you did this and this and not not know all about the many hours of love and attention yeah. you gave them but it is genuine from. in my show it's yeah, yeah. genuinely meant to be Here's the stuff they did. It's all very true. It's all very honest. They were, they were very mental parents who didn't stop their lives in any way for their children, and their lives were involved, you know, affairs yeah. and hardcore pornography. I found my dad's collection of hardcore pornography when I was seven. I've never stopped, really, watching and looking at hardcore <laughs> pornography as a result. Yeah. I uh, think you would have done that anyway, though. Yeah, I well, think. I <laughs> where I didn't find got, my dad's where collection Where would I have got it when I was seven, though? Where would I have got it? <laughs> well, I would, you, when you say I would have got it, I've done it already. Where, I think where would I have got it? Regardless of whether you'd seen pornography at seven, I think you as an adult would still be looking no, at hardcore yes, no, pornography. that's absolutely, <laughs> definitely true. But we lost, we've lost the audience, by the way, <laughs> Hardcore pornography is not what it used to be no, it? It as, a, as a subject matter. Uh, but, um, but I do feel very strongly that because I'm essentially happy with who I am, that whatever, you know, outside the parenting manual they were, it's not a problem. No. And, and the show is a celebration of that. It is a celebration of them, and it's, and it's a show with, that's full of love, I think. Yeah, it is. So that, that's, that's what's overwhelming about it, however yeah. dirty and weird and yeah. strange it gets. Yeah. It's about the love that you have for your parents and that they have for you as well, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. I'm sure, not so sure about that. But, 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 but I think they do, but you yeah. know, I think your mum's... Your mum comes... As you say, at the end, I think your mum would love all of this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mum Just because she was, you know, she was... You can see from all the clips you use, she loves being in the limelight. Yeah, yeah. She loved being on your TV yeah, show. Yeah, absolutely. My mum... 
One of the things about the show as well is, because people get quite uncomfortable, I start off by talking about my mum and showing all these times that my mum was on TV. Uh, like when I did Badil and Skinner on Plan, she was in the audience and she ended up, we used to have the secretary on Badil and Skinner on Plan. My mum used to do quite a lot of heckling of me. Uh, she used to come to all my shows. So in some ways, she's like a big old Jewish mum. But in other ways, she wasn't. So she'd come to my shows to be all proud and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but her heckles would be weird anyway, like very mummish heckles. Like, uh, there was this one time when I had a pint of beer on stage and she was in the audience and some lads started egging me on to drink the pint of beer in one go. So I drank the pint of beer in one go. As I put it down, I heard my mum shout out, I hope you've had something to eat tonight. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a very mummish heckle, but uh, but when she was when she was in the audience on Bedell and Skinner on Plan, and I show this in the show, uh, there's a point where I'm talking to Frank about the idea of having my mum as the secretary, which was the figure who used to come out of the audience and write stuff on a whiteboard, sort of as a, as part of the show. And at one point, Frank, who's not very keen on that idea because he knew my mum fairly well, uh, <laughs> Frank says, "Look, what are we going to do here? You've, you've, you've put me in a terrible position." Either uh, I I grant an old lady her dearest wish or the show will be shit, right? And my mum from the audience shouts, it always is, right? And so she was like, the reason she did that with my mum is that my mum didn't really care at some level about being proud of me. She was more interested in being in the limelight herself. And so that's why she would have loved the show. Yeah. I mean, I think she, she was, was also incredibly proud of this affair. She was unbelievably <laughs> proud of having an affair. She would tell everyone here. She'd take you aside and tell everyone here about the affair. My, I've got a little, little footage in the, in the show of my brother. My brother, Ivo, who's also a comedy writer, tells this story about how uh, my mum had a golfing memorabilia stall, and you'll know why she had a golfing memorabilia stall, in Gray's Antique Market, which is near here. And he took his girlfriend to see my mum, who'd never, my mum had never met this girl before, Tracy her name was, and he's talk, she's talking to Ivor, my brother, and suddenly she mentions this bloke, David, David White, his name is, uh, out of nowhere, who she's had an affair with, and she turns to the girlfriend, and she says, I've been his mistress for 20 years, and turns back to my brother as if she'd not said anything at all, right? And she was constantly doing that. She thought it was glamorous, yeah. in a very 70s way. But then you've got that honesty gene, maybe from her, so you know, yeah. you've, you're, you're the same. I have, yeah. 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 Although I, I'm not, I hate golf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I haven't picked up everything. Well, she didn't really like golf. She, no, she like golf. She liked David White's cock. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. We all like that. Uh, um, it's a brilliant. It's a really, really brilliant show. It's it's it's, it's rare to get like I think a stand-up show that really hangs together that well and is that brilliantly constructed and works as a sort of... I mean, it works as a theatre piece as well as yeah. a stand-up piece, but it's really funny as well. I really yeah. like well, when I started doing stand-up again, because I, I, I was obviously doing stand-up when I was in Newman and and then I did a solo show in 1997, and I stopped doing it for quite a long time, partly because I was I just burnt out, I think, but also I was having children and all that. And then when I came back to do it, I did a show in 2013 called Fame Not the Musical. And that was about fame. But also, it wasn't, I was trying not to do just a series of jokes. I was trying to do something that felt like it hung together, yeah. like a story, even if it was a number of different stories that would take you from one place to the other. So even if I had a funny idea about something that wasn't to do with that, I, in, in an old show, I would have put that in, crowbarred it in. In these shows, I don't. I will only put stuff in 
that feels to me like part of the actual journey you're yeah. on. And in that sense, it's a bit like theatre rather than comedy. Yeah, I, I, but the, I mean, the first bit you do about Twitter, all the funny tweets and the reactions, yeah. I mean, it is, it is within things, but it's also a very solid opening yeah. routine as well. So it works, yeah. I think it's a really great start, and then you get taken into this. Well, I, what I find interesting, and because I do a, a, sh a show every year and then throw it away usually, yeah. uh, occasionally come back to it a few years later. Are but you doing been, a best of? Well, there? I did a best of show this, that I've just finished, yeah, so then I'm doing it, but I'll be working, I'm working up a new show now. How does a best of show work? Do people well, you just, shout out requests? No, they did. <laughs> I did think about doing it because I actually learnt all 12, of my, I did all 12 of my shows in their entirety here instead of going to Edinburgh in 2015. What, you mean you did a 12-hour show? No, I did them over six weekends. But okay. I did, well, 90 minutes each, so like it's 20 hours of comedy. Right. So I did learn, relearn all of the stuff. Right. But it, I don't think it would work as a request. I did think about maybe I could have a request thing at the beginning. Yeah. But then some of them require props or, you know, and some of them are just too complex or too long. So you need to work out. Right. If someone goes, do someone like Yoke, do the whole of someone like Shaga, I want the whole 60-minute version, please, not the 20-minute version. Yeah. You go, oh, well, that will, that's the end of the show then. Yeah. Uh, so it worked quite well, but it, but I didn't, in a way, you just, I kind of, I thought I'd mix it up a bit, but he, yeah, it, it settled into a, a new show in a way that it made sense as it went along, although there were, I would make some jokes about what the gears shifting a bit when, right. when you go from one thing to the next. But I think it's quite interesting to, you You have taken this show and done this for three years, maybe? Two no, or three this years? show for just over two years. Two I, years. I, I started doing But it. then you'll be doing it next year as well. So yeah, so it's going to be going on too long. It's, yeah. it's completely <laughs> correct. It will be doing it too long. I don't uh, know if it is too long, though, because I think it's... I, I saw it quite early on and then yeah. quite recently. Yeah. And it's changed a lot. Yeah, I do change it. Uh, and also it changes a bit depending on what happens. So yeah. my dad's dementia changes. Uh, I've noticed one of the things about dementia is that it's not a solid one thing. You, I think we, we're taught by culture, by films and TV, that dementia is just one thing. It's people with tartan blankets on staring at the wall. It isn't. That's one type of dementia. My dad's type of dementia mainly involves him shouting fuck off over and over again, which is confusing because that's what he did anyway uh, throughout his life. Uh, and, uh, and then that dementia, I don't know if anyone, I did a, sh I did a film called The Trouble With Dad. Anyone see that? It's on Channel 4. Uh, and in that film, one of the things I noticed was, that was shot over about a year, was that my initial sense with my dad, that it was quite difficult because he was abusing people, abusing me and whatever, that when he became quieter, which was part of the travelling nature of that dementia, I started to not like that. I thought, no, I much prefer him telling me to fuck off because that's him, that's his energy, that's who he is, that's life. And what I don't want is the complete silence of the other type of dementia. So, uh, I don't, why did I begin saying, oh, I've got fucking dementia? Because I've now <laughs> forgotten why I'm saying this. Why, why was I saying that? Do you remember? Um, did you fall asleep? I, I, I was looking at what I was going to say next. Oh, okay. I thought you, you Does anyone know why I began that thread of thought? <laughs> no one knows. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, so thank you thank so you much. Thank yeah, so, so because the, because the show is about real life, basically, and real life changes, then the show changes to some extent uh, because of that. Um, yeah, but I have been doing it quite a lot. And it's yeah, but, but I think that's interesting because it, may, it, it really cements it as both the, the show keeps improving, I think, if you keep doing it and you keep yeah. working at it, but also then the reputation of the show keeps yeah. growing. You know what I mean? I think if you... If you've got a show that that people want to see, and then yeah. and, the, the, and then the word spreading. Yeah, although have you ever done a show like? Because I did ten weeks in the West End yeah. just now, including matinees on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So yeah. that was eight shows a week, and the show was going really well. But to be honest with you, about week seven, I hated myself. <laughs> I thought I cannot go on stage and say this stuff anymore because. The show is very authentic and real, and as a result, just pure repetition made me feel like a twat. 
you know what I mean? I do, yeah. Um, never happens to me, no. It right. it's not, it, no, I do, and I think I, I went through a period where, I, you know, I, would, I didn't, never did as long a period of any show and that, that intensively. But when I was touring 12, 15 years ago, you'd, and if the show didn't start off going really well, I would just go, oh, you know, and I put, if it was an art centre and there was 30 people, then it wasn't going very well, or I was bored with it, I'd just put my head down and yeah. basically say it as quickly as I could. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Can you do a little bit of chat and stand up while I go for a piss? <laughs> Is that I'll all right? talk about, I'll talk I'm, about quite, this. I'm 53. That's all right. And so I have to do that. You're drunk, I've drunk more than you. I've drunk more water than you. All right, you. okay. Fine. You Sorry go. I'll, I'll, I'll keep telling the audience. I will about come this. back. Okay. All right. I can keep talking. Um, so, well, someone else didn't bother with that and just weed in the seat. I don't know if you can pick that up. There's, there's a big stain on that seat. I didn't want to tell Dave before he sat down on it, but I'm not. I'm definitely not sitting in that one. Uh, well, what I've learned as a comedian that David's going to miss this now because he's not—he's in the toilet—is that you, you know you can keep a show uh, interesting for yourself by by uh, keeping on working on the uh, the the way you do it rather than the words as well. But um, <laughs> David will miss out on that now. Um, I did uh, I did a, uh, a travelogue show with David Bedil. Oh, I said his name correct. Thank God he wasn't here to hear it. Uh, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> called uh, uh, 48 Hours to Go Broke. Did anyone see that? Yeah. yeah, no, some people did. It was kind of quite a weird idea. We were given like £10,000 and we had to go to uh, Yerevan in uh, uh, Armenia uh, and then we had 48 hours to spend £10,000. I think they made it £8,000 for Armenia because it's everything so cheap in Armenia <laughs> that it would be impossible to spend that amount of money. It was quite a weird uh, idea for a show which I might talk to David a bit deal about now. Oh, here he comes. Oh, David, bad deal, I mean. How is the wee? That's like a round of applause for having a piss. <laughs> uh, it was all right, but I was worried because I'm wearing fairly light trousers, yeah, so I assumed, that I assumed there'd be a stain. Yeah. I also assumed you were saying something embarrassing about me. No, I wasn't now, I really. once did that on Badil and Skinner Unplanned, uh, and Frank told this story. I shouldn't really tell this because it's fairly horrible then, and I'm older now, and I'm going to give you a really disgusting image, but hey, it doesn't matter, it's been on telly. Uh, Frank, I, I went for a piss during the show, uh, and Frank told this story uh, to the audience while I wasn't there, I didn't realise he had told it, about he'd come round to my house, and he'd noticed I'd got a stain on my T-shirt, and he said, oh, what's that? And I said, I've just been wanking. And he said, oh, God, are you going to tell me that? I said, no, 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 it's not that bad. Uh, what was happening was I was wanking, and because I was about to have an orgasm, I put my T-shirt in my mouth. And that's what the stain's from, right? So I, 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 offered, I offered that up as, like, it's not as bad as you think it is, right? That stain. Anyway, that's the story he told to the audience, and I didn't know when I came back. So I had to work it out for the rest of the show what he told the audience, because he had told them all not to tell me, right? And then right at the end of it, he said, well, why do you do that anyway? Why don't you hold it up with your hand? And I said, well, I, I need my, both my hands, obviously. And he couldn't understand why, and I said, amateur. Surely, surely you need both your hands. Anyway, I just started going out with Morwenna, my partner, when that show, now my wife, was on, and she split up with me, uh, briefly, because she said, I've got to go to the school gate. No, she wasn't, we must have had children already. <laughs> yes. And they were, some people would have seen that show, and I'm so embarrassed. Wow. It was only for like a day, she came back. <laughs> came back. But I did realise that, that... Came that, back, because you need two hands to masturbate <laughs> with your cock, so that's the reason she came back. Yeah. I, d I don't need Can't to... Can't leave that behind, can you? I, I don't need two hands to masturbate <laughs> all the time, okay. only towards the end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> know what I mean? <laughs> 
you're putting the other one up your arsehole. <laughs> Ball cradling a little bit of arsehole, yeah. Okay. I'm 53, it's disgusting me talking like this. <laughs> Do you remember when we went to Armenia? I thought we talked about this, but it happened in between... Um, the we way you to... said that after the wanky story sounds like Armenia is a euphemism. Yeah, we went to Armenia. Do you remember we went um, to Yerevan? Yes, we went to Yerevan and we did a weird show on Dave that yeah. no one watched. It was a real laugh. Well, three people watched it because I was talking about it just now. Mm. It was it was good fun. It was a it weird was really concept. Good fun. It was a, probably the wrong time for that concept to come out. Just well, as, austerity. You yeah, mean. austerity was hitting, and then they said less sense comedians to spend frivolously spend money in foreign. It wasn't countries. that much money though, was it? it because wasn't. we were in Yerevan, it yeah. was like eight grand, yeah, which obviously eight, is no. not no money, but it doesn't feel like the the million dollars that you would have in Brewster's Millions, yeah, whatever well, the show, the, well, the, the show's the, based on Brewster's Millions, yeah. isn't it? Well, I thought it was quite interesting because essentially it, it, it's, although some people went, oh, that's offensive and distasteful, which I can see, but also... Yeah, but they hadn't watched Benito Skinner on plan. I was in the next bedroom to him and he was wanking <laughs> with two hands and shouting Richard at the end three times. <laughs> I don't know where he got that from. It was Dick. It wasn't Richard. Just Dick. Yeah, it wasn't Richard. But, you know, all of those travelogue shows of sending two men to an interesting place. Well, sometimes, uh, sometimes a woman or two ever. Okay. There was a couple. There were a couple of episodes in the series we did with women, but it's nearly always two men. But, they, they but that's all... because they're more male comedians, don't they? Yeah, I, think... I don't think they don't want to send women. Is that what you're saying? I just think it's kind of... It's interesting when you look at how many times it is like men. But anyway, okay. let's not get onto that. But, but they, you're essentially sending someone... If you send Carl Pilkerton or whoever to wherever, yeah. they are spending all that money yes, as yes, they go on a, yes. you know you're sending Carl Pilkerton somewhere that he sensibly doesn't want to go yeah. for a joke yeah. and then making him do stuff that he doesn't want to do that still all costs that money so it yes. was like an upfront TV show yeah but it was saying, an, actually I don't, when, was when did we do it um, it was 2014, 2014, yeah. Yeah, I think it was an early example because I could tell you, I don't know if I was aware of it as much, but you were already worried about Twitter. Yes. About how we were going to get slagged off on Twitter. Well, we got for, tweets for on, that. We got tweets on the way to the, uh, as we were at the airport, I remember saying uh, that, it yeah. got mentioned on Chortle, and already some people were going, oh God, this is disgusting. This how is disgusting. And acting me in and saying, how can you do this? Yeah. And, you know, I can sort of say, I think it was an incredibly fun thing to do. It was really fun. A yeah. really interesting thing to do, and it made you think about the value of money, and we were giving the money as much as we could to people we thought would benefit from it. Yeah, although, although I did suggest that we, we had like a big presidential suite yeah. in a hotel that I believe uh, As uh, yeah, Assad, yeah. President Assad of Syria has stayed in. He just stayed in there the week before, I think. Yeah, he just yeah. stayed there the week before. So there were more things to complain about uh, than just <laughs> us spending money. But we did. Uh, I did say let's get the, the presidential suite and throw money yes. on it and, uh, and dive around in it in dressing gowns. Yes. Uh, but then the problem was because it was Armenia, we couldn't get the stuff on the... Uh, uh, room service that we wanted to enact that scene. We wanted essentially to do an ironic, oh, we're so wealthy. So I thought we could get champagne and things like that. All we got, I think, was tiramisu. Yes. That was all we had was a plate of tiramisu well, yeah. as their luxury thing that we basically handed to each <laughs> other. Yeah. But we were like, we were only, we only spent a certain amount of money on, on stuff, on each thing. Yeah. And we got the presidential suite, I think, for an hour we were allowed yeah, to had have And a it. very angry man yeah. on room service. And it was service. ridiculous. We think, oh, we're in the presidential suite. Yeah. Presidential can we get some? Can we get some champagne? 
Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Someone in the crew wanted some cigarettes. Have you got sick? Can we get cigarettes? No. Yeah, yeah. No, they were just furious. <laughs> this isn't furious. the presidential experience I was expecting. No, it's very unpresidential. Um, and we drank uh, coffee that had come out of a cat's anus. Yeah, we did do that. That sounds like we didn't do that, but we did do that. But it, it's that special coffee. You might have heard of it, where a cat eats the coffee bean, yeah. then shits it out. Yeah. Then they give it to you yeah then you drink it, <laughs> you drink it. <laughs> I am sophisticated yeah. and there's a lot of things about being rich which is just everyone taking the piss out of you for me you're rich you have to drink this cat bum coffee mm, yeah. and yeah oh it's it's, yeah. it's it smells delicious. of cat shit yeah. it costs so much it must be good yes you're well done thank yeah. you for the money yeah uh, and then they themselves become rich and then they have to drink cat bum coffee it's yeah. a terrible spiral of cat bum yeah. coffee Actually, I think that cat shit coffee just tasted of coffee. It didn't even taste of cat shit. You'd want it a little bit to taste of cat shit, but it didn't. That was the real swizz. <laughs> I thought it was most interesting, and I think there's a TV show in this, is we went to, we were allowed to do, go to a casino. Yes. And I play roulette quite a lot. So, I so we were trying to lose money. That was the idea. And the, yeah, so it was very exciting to go to a casino and put money in there. They would only let us, I wanted to put it all on one number. Yeah. And then they wouldn't let us do it because it was too big an amount of money if we won. Oh, right. Was that right? Uh, yeah, so we had to put it on two numbers, which are, that made me nervous because yeah. I thought now it's 17 to 1. Well, presumably, because the idea of this show, just to reiterate, I know Richard said, is that you have to get rid of all the money. Now, if we'd won an enormous amount of money, we'd still be there, I assume. <laughs> you have to live in Armenia for the rest of your life, <laughs> spending that money very slowly. I think the producer did say, you know, if you did win on that take, we could always retake it yeah, yeah, and yeah. just all split the money and pretend it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, maybe that's what happened yeah, here. Maybe that's happened Cat bum coffee. <laughs> 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 but it was incredibly exciting. I think there might, you know, I think there's a game in this somehow. It was actually more nerve-wracking. I play roulette quite a lot, just casually, every now and again for fun. And it's a stupid game to play, don't play it, because you can't really win. But the, we came very close. We were like one or two slots away from winning on one of our numbers. Yeah, and and to, to see it come around... It was around, exciting. It was very exciting and nerve-wracking, and when you're trying to lose the money, to the danger yeah. of suddenly winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a, a very yeah. odd experience. It's a very weird place as well, Yerevan. Yes. Yeah. It's really weird, and there was a slight sense that if we had won, erroneously, we might be dead anyway, because <laughs> yes. there's a lot of gangsters around. And Well, it's quite unusual for a casino to refuse... I mean, I know it was... But it wasn't like a huge... It was like a £1,000 or something. It wasn't like a huge... Uh, maybe £800 that we'd we bet. allowed to put on we here. Bet, we bet £800. £800 on two numbers. But even £800, you know, we're for a casino, £800 times 35 is not a massive amount of we money. We are talking a lot about a show that no fucker has I know, seen. it's interesting, though. <laughs> it was an interesting show to be part of. And, you know, Who I, else I was, did the show? I was on telly, wasn't I? Yeah, briefly. you were on telly. That's true. That was quite unusual. <laughs> uh, Susan Cowman did it with, I think... Freddie Flintoff or someone like right. that. Okay. I can't remember who the other people... I mean, I don't think it did well because, you know, people Someone's were just... Someone's just laughing at the idea of Susan Cowman <laughs> and Freddie Flintoff. They were Why in Iceland. They went that? up a mountain... I think she told me they went up like a mountain nearly died or something. It sounded much worse, their version. Well, how, how, did you spend how, you spend how did you spend money up I a mountain? Were hang gliding or something like that. Oh. Well, that sounds much easier. Yeah. We dressed up in opera costumes and danced around. We did around. do that, yeah. We did do that. And then we just ended up giving money away, didn't we, at the end? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind buying, of an easy way of we doing it. Buying stuff from yeah. street vendors and things. Anyway, it was, nice. it was nice. We had a lot of fun. Do you have questions from the audience? No, I've got questions from my book though. Okay. Got an emergency question. Was on... there a catchphrase bit at the start? Yeah. What was so, that? So, oh, you've got to be one of the cool kids, Dave. If you don't know, <laughs> you don't know. You're not in. I want to know what the catchphrase is. You just have to say Rahula Stipper. All right. Uh, it's like it's like uh, Cracker Jack. <laughs> <laughs> 
See how, see how soon they forget. Um, question 478, if you're following along at home. That's like a vicar. <laughs> it is. It's, I think this will be a holy text one day. Yeah. When this is discovered. Did you say that's the one that costs a lot of money? Uh, you can buy... Uh, some of them on eBay have gone for, like... Because I've, I've written extra questions in the front and signed them and stuff. And it's gone a little bit crazy. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking of giving up the podcast and just doing the books. Really? Yeah. How much do they sell for? The, it's like Harry each. Potter. £10 each. But, right. you know, the £10 and then but it's a first edition. Yeah. So, you know, you could, it's very like Harry Potter. There will be movies of this. <laughs> so there'll be the first movie. And this would be one of the scenes in the movie, David. Question so the four. emergency questions... Yeah. Is an idea that you had separate to the podcast. Well, it's sort of part of the podcast. When I was interviewing Jonathan Ross, I got a bit flummoxed and couldn't think of anything to say to him. Right. And wished I had some questions written down. That right, because that's what to... he does yeah. on his show. <laughs> he so you thought, yeah, down. I'll take a leaf out of his book. <laughs> so yeah. I'd write some down for the next person. Okay. So this is one I don't think I might have asked this to someone else. 478, if you had to have sex with either Zippy, Bungle, George, Jeffrey or Rod... <laughs> Whilst Jane and Freddie had sex with each other next to you, but you couldn't join in with that bit. Yeah. If you had to, yeah. which of the Rainbow Crew would you have sex with out of those? Sorry? Zip, someone very keen on Zippy there. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, as far as Rainbow goes, yeah. uh, which is quite a 70s reference yes. point, uh, I can only really remember Bungle. Right, well, you could, he's in there. Is he the bear? Yeah. Oh, no, no, Zippy. Zippy's Zippy, the Zippy one. Well, yeah, well, obviously, Zippy's got the zip on his mouth. Yeah, but if you get your cock caught. Yeah, so that's the whole point. It could be quite erotic, unzipping the mouth. <laughs> could be. And then laying your cock on the felt. <laughs> and then, you know, the bloke. Who's the bloke? Jay. No, no, that's oh, not the bloke. Jeffrey. Freddie, Jeffrey. Well, Jeffrey's sorry. sticking his finger up your arse and then you hope for the best. It was never like that, Rainbow. It was. When I watched it. Well, but weirdly though, Rod, Jane and Freddie... Were they on Rainbow? Yeah, they were the singing group, Rod, right. Jane and Freddie. And there but was... it sounds like swingers. Well, they, well one, if Jane you, if, was if, married to Rod, and then and there was a different person in Rod, Jane and Freddie, who was called something else. George, I can't remember what he's called now. And then, there was a different person in Rod, Jane and Freddie, <laughs> who wasn't called Rod, Jane called, or Freddie. No. Well, but that it, must have never worked. <laughs> then they said, let's get someone called <laughs> yeah, Freddie yeah. in. And then Freddie came in. <laughs> yeah. And then Freddie and Jane are now married to each other. Are they? Yeah, so they, she was with Rod, and then she left Rod, and she went with Freddie, but they all still work together. So I think, the, very, I think they'd be up for this. The Crankies actually are swingers, did you know that? Yes. Okay. Did you know that? The Crankies actually are swingers. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was a big sort of news story in the sun, uh, but then it sort of, I don't know what happened to it, because I would have thought that should be more well-known. <laughs> don't you think? Yeah. Well, it's like an unbelievable stories. thing. Could you imagine? I mean, I... <laughs> I've never done swinging, and I'm an honest person, and you would know, I would definitely tell you if I'd been to a swingers party, so I've not. But I imagine that if you went to a swingers party, even though, when I've watched documentaries, it's virtually always men with moustaches who live off the A1, right? Even though it's really kind of unsavoury people, you'd still be disappointed if you open the door and it's the crankies. Or, or you'd be overjoyed. One of the two, it's hard to know. The story I had, and I can't quite remember all the details apart the punchline of it, was oh. that that that, uh, that <laughs> I've got Roger Jeanette, Freddie, Jeanette. Jeanette Cranky was having sex with like two guys or something in a dressing room. She's not big enough. And then um, <laughs> someone walked into the room, and Jeanette Cranky said, "Oh, you must think I'm a terrible flirt." Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that story a million times yeah. about other people. Yeah. I've never heard it about Jeanette Cranky. But yeah, I have heard that story. I'm sure it's not true. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll ask you the next question as well. 
If you didn't have to have sex with these zippy bungle Jeffrey and George, it's about sex. But not having sex. If you didn't have to have sex with either zippy bungle George, Jeffrey or Rod, but not Jane or Freddie who would now be asleep. But they said they were up for it if you fancied it, but not an orgy situation. It would have to be one-on-one. Would you have sex with one of them and which one? I haven't, have I haven't understood the question. I, I, not that I haven't understood the question because it's too out there. It's too long. I just lost any sense of what you were saying. To, you don't have to have sex with them now, but they said what they say. You can we're if prepared you like. to have sex with one of us on a one-on-one non-orgy situation. Still Would zippy. You? Still zippy. Still unzipping his mouth. Still putting my cock on his felt. Still Jeffrey putting his finger up my ass. So it's the same answer as before. I refer the right honourable gentleman to my previous answer. So, you're writing kids' books now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. They're very successful. They were very successful until this podcast. They were doing excellently. It's um, a problem, actually. It is a bit of a problem, because as a comedian, I am, uh, you know, fairly adult. Uh, and then every so often, I will get someone who, you know, only really knows me from the kids' books, yeah. saying, is it all right if I bring my nine-year-old to the show or whatever, or to this? Yes. And I would say, no, they'll be traumatised for life, like <laughs> I was by my mum shouting my name when she was wanking. And yeah. although that's done me no harm, <laughs> I, I can't guarantee the same for your son. Uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a thing. Yeah. You, you, but you've got children now. I've got a, a child and another one on the way. They don't read yet. Not to There's quite a lot of... Uh, comedians and people in the public eye writing children's books. There are. Well, it's a, my, my wife is a children's author. Oh, right. Well, there you go. Uh, so children's authors are generally quite annoyed. Although my wife was also a stand-up comedian, but yeah. not... not in, no, I know not, children's authors are a bit annoyed about it. Yeah, children's authors are annoyed. So I went to a party with my wife at her publishers, and everyone was going, are you going to write a children's book now? I said, yeah, I might do. This sounds like quite good fun. Your, would your wife be annoyed if you write a children's I think, book? Well, I think it would be weird. I think it, she would find it odd if I suddenly went. And I've actually always... I wouldn't do it part Partly because I wouldn't want to feel like, oh, it's another comedian writing a book yeah. and joining this bandwagon. That I mean, I think again, you were ahead of the bandwagon. Well, to, to be honest, David Williams was the one yeah. who started it, uh, but then I was probably the next one, and now everyone. Well, every, Spike every Milligan was maybe the one. Who well, started. Spike Milligan, yeah, yeah, Pacoon. <laughs> he, he did lots of little poem poetry books and stuff. Yeah. I used to love Spike Milligan as a, yeah. as a kid. But yeah, it's it's you know, but it's I think it makes sense for comedians to write. Because kids like funny books and comedians yeah. are childish. So I, yeah. I've, got, I've got lots of ideas for children's books. No, but books. that's true, though. That is true. Is that uh, I only once was going to write one. Uh, I, I wrote a book called The Parent Agency, and I wrote that because my son said to me when he was eight, he said, Dad, why does Harry Potter, why doesn't he run away from the Dursleys and go and find some better parents? And that gave me an idea, which was about a world where children can choose their own parents. And what I noticed when I wrote that book is that I decided to write it more or less as I would write any other thing, which is to try and make it as funny as possible, but leave out the stuff about Jeffrey putting his finger on my ass. <laughs> By which I mean leave out the sex and the swearing. Well, it's got yeah. swearing in it, actually, but leave out most of the higher, harder sex and swearing. And that was quite successful because I believe, I don't know how many people in this audience have got kids, but I believe that things have changed with comedy since I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, uh, you know, it was basically the magic roundabout. That was children's television. Now, my son has grown up on The Simpsons and Amazing World of Gumball, which is the funniest show on television. I don't know if anyone watches it, but on Cartoon Network, there's a show called Amazing World of Gumball, which is not the funniest show on television for kids. It's the funniest show on television, full stop. And I think there's a space now called for children, but it's not really for children because children are more sophisticated and adults are more childlike. Yes. And so as a result, I think you can do stuff in the for children space as a comedian, which isn't really talking down in any way yeah. to kids. You just leave out the swearing. Sure. 
I guess your books aren't really the kind... The, the kids are a bit older, they're not getting read to by their parents Nine so to 12-year-olds, yeah. uh, the, that's, that's the demographic. Yeah. So it. they'll be reading themselves. Yeah, but well, it, but it's, yeah, but it's fun as an adult when you get stuff that... You know, it's funny for you as well as for the kids. So like, I was watching uh, Monsters Inc. 15 times in a day with my daughter the other day. Yeah. And it's when it bears watching 15 times, it's really good. I, I've seen Cars. <laughs> they don't watch it, but I've seen Cars, the Pixar film, about 50 times. Has anyone seen Cars, the Pixar film? Okay. Do you know what happens when Lightning McQueen has the spotlight put on him? Does anyone, does anyone know what I'm talking about at all? Okay, there's a bit, this is going to go nowhere, but I must, I want to get it off my chest, right? Lightning McQueen, who is the main car in Cars, there's one bit where he's won a race and he's about to get an award and a spotlight comes on him and he's there and he doesn't know what to say and in the distance, very carefully, you only know this if you've seen it 50 times, you hear someone shout, free bird. Right? Now that is from Leonard Skinner's One More From The Road, their double live album released in 1976. And you hear that very in the background when someone wants them to play Freebird. And I know that that happens in Cars yeah. because I've seen it 50 times. But I may be the only person in the world who knows that that happens in Cars. <laughs> but Does anyone else know that? No, that's pretty no, good. Or it doesn't want to know it. No one wants to know it either. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's what's... When, when they bothered to go that deep with yeah. these things, and I think it really works for kids' films, because they, they really make the kids' stuff, I think, are very clever. I think you know, we were talking about CB, CBBs the other week, yeah. and Postman Pat, and the way that, as a parent, you'll pick up on all the ridiculous stuff in Postman Pat. But the people who write that know that. Yes. You're, the, the parents are going to watch it and go, oh, how does he afford all these different vehicles? And yeah. why, blah, blah, blah. You know, they know what's going to happen, yeah. but they also know that will give the parents pleasure to do that. So yeah. they don't sign it up at all, but they let, they let all those things. And with occasional, they'll go, oh, why, where's Pat? He's always... It's very unusual for him to be late, his wife says, and everyone else goes... <laughs> it's just really he's saying that, that he's a swinger is that no, what you're saying he's, he's always he never delivers anything on time and it's always, I don't want to go into it again David okay. I've done it yeah, I've, you've, you've, you've spoiled children's anger. television for all of us um, I, I want to do a, there's two dirty Britcom confessions about you have you seen the dirty, dirty Britcom confessions the Brit, dirty Britcom confessions is a website where people can put their sexual is it fan fiction yeah it's where fans can say what they would like to do to you uh, comedians not yeah. just you sexually yeah I've, I've read, I haven't read it. <laughs> I, I've seen some fiction yeah. about me and various of my double act partners yeah, it, it, where, we, where we get it together. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, there isn't any of that with... with you and Stuart Lee. No, there is loads of me and Stuart Lee. Oh, there is. Well, yeah. don't, get, don't get big about it. Loads. <laughs> it sounds terrible and creepy. <laughs> we did oh, quite we, a lot. I've got much more of me wanking off Stuart Lee <laughs> than you wanking off Frank Skinner. Yes, well done. <laughs> Um, the, here you've got two for you I'm going to read them they're not uh, they're not uh, that uh, racy but I'm quite interested just interested to see what you think but they are quite racist all, yeah, <laughs> I hate all Jews yeah. except David Bedeer David Bedeer with circumcised penis <laughs> has he got a banjo <laughs> string who knows yeah. read, it, read it out <laughs> all I want is to feel David Bedeer's beard between my thighs why is that too much to ask <laughs> Yours sincerely, Jeanette Cranky. <laughs> uh, 
Would you be prepared? I mean, you could just I, send them your beard. That's the nice thing. If you can, yeah. you can shave off your beard. Yeah. Say, um, stick this between your thighs. I want to know whether... Is it a woman, firstly? Well, you know, you I mean, just sexist. No, I don't mean to be uh, sexist or anything, but I, what I'm interested in is if it is a woman, whether or not she herself is quite hairy yeah. down there. And that's why she... If she's not, yeah. whether that's why she wants it. Because <laughs> it's quite fashionable now to, uh, on, the, on pornography, on the web, which, as you know, I watch, uh, there's some very big stuff uh, with sites now for hairy women right. and it might be just someone who thinks well I can't get enough hair yeah. down there what about using David's beard yeah. it might be that it might be someone who wants to create static electricity and they've got plenty of hair but they think my hair and that hair uh, we could power the <laughs> national grid together if I was moving I guess uh, and uh, the other one's just quite sweet yeah. um, that, I one, that to... one was quite sweet yeah well, they're both sweet compared to what uh, what you can get uh, I want to run my fingers through David Baddiel's hair is that it? Yeah. Beard hair or pubic I mean, hair? I think just hair. Really? Yeah. No, that's not, that's not very... No, I, I mean, that's to... weak for, the, for yeah. the... Surely it could be more erotic. What about stuff about you and Stuart Lee? Or is it not about you and Stuart Lee? Um, is I it can't... about you and other people that you've associated usually with? Usually if it's a double... I can't remember the... the uh, we can look it up later together. <laughs> and, uh, I want it to be... I'll, I'll pick up my shirt. I want it to be... <laughs> <laughs> Now, you see, that was disgusting for other reasons, I'm afraid. It wasn't the wanky that was disgusting about that. Um, I think, I've got to be honest with you, that if people are writing fan fiction about you and Stuart Lee, yeah. he's going to be the dominant one, isn't he? <laughs> it's going to be you sucking him off, mainly, and him saying... You've just thought he, a lot about this, David. <laughs> and, him, and him counting his BAFTAs. It's going to be, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> and someone wanking at the thought of yeah. that. Yeah. Don't you think? I think I would have thought so, yeah. <laughs> I would have thought so. That wasn't how it went down in reality, though. So, um, what does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the... I never heard, saw, saw this, but uh, I have a question about which is your favourite McWurter twin, but you did a show called The Norris McWurter Chronicles. Yeah, well, not a show. I did a short film for Sky about Norris McWurter. Now, I'll tell you the story. This is, I, I've always liked this story, but it's a very strange story which is anyone who doesn't know, which is, I'm sure there are people too young in this audience, uh, which is that Norris McWurter was on a show called Record Breakers. Uh, and he was, Record Breakers was a show in the 70s that Roy Castle used to do. We ref which, I referenced it right at the top. Yeah, of the show. I heard you mentioning Roy Castle. Uh, and it was basically a show about the Guinness Book of Records and about, you know, who's the fastest man in the world or whatever at the time. Uh, and they used to do little skits and little things about that. And I used to like it quite a lot. And then... Norris McWurter, who was the kind of oracle of all this, he knew the Guinness Book of Records by heart, came to my school, this completely true story, to do a talk. And I was very excited about this. And the place was packed, the assembly hall was packed because he was quite a big star at the time. It then turned out, and I didn't know this, obviously when I was 12 or 13, that Norris McWurter was the member of something called the Freedom Association, which was a kind of quite right-wing organisation, very right-wing organisation, and he come to talk about how much he was pro-apartheid, how much he hated the trade unions, and how much, you know, the Labour Party were trying to ruin the country and whatever. And he put up a big sign that just said freedom on it. So he talked for about half an hour about this. And I remember sitting there thinking, OK, this is really boring, but I'm also worried about something, which is he's going to ask for questions, and people here 
they're going to ignore what he said and they're just going to say, what's the biggest fish, right? <laughs> and I got really worried about that. I thought that would be really embarrassing because he hasn't even mentioned Record Breakers or Roy Castle. And I was worried about that throughout and this is what actually happened. He finished his talk, which was all about this very right-wing stuff, very serious, and then he said, are there any questions? And a bloke put his hand up and he said, what will houses look like in the year 2000? <laughs> And I thought, well, that's nothing to do with what he's talking about, and there's nothing to do with record breakers. What the fuck, right? And he answered it. He answered it. He said, I think we'll all live in yurts. <laughs> so I did a short film about that. And I can't, there was, in fact, a coda to that story, unbelievably. There is a coda to that story, which is many, many years later, I was driving in Birmingham with Frank Skinner. We were on our way, we did some filming. And uh, the much older Norris McWhirter was on a show, uh, a radio show, answering questions about records. And people would ring up and they would try and catch him out. And you could win a copy of the Guinness Book of Records if he couldn't answer, you on know... The on the radio? On the radio, yeah. Well, yes, obviously, he could have been cheating. <laughs> he could have been cheating, that's true. That's true. But the premise was, he was on some local Birmingham radio station. You ring up, you say, who's the tallest man in the world? If he can't answer, you get a free book. Go, so, the, how do you not know that one? It's the, he's in the front of the Guinness Book of Records. That's what happened. Anyway, he, uh, so the, this, show, this is going on for about 20 minutes, and I'm listening to it and thinking, oh, this is sort of what I expected to happen, right? <laughs> then, right at the end of it, someone rings up and says, what's the biggest ant in the world? And Norris answers that completely confidently, and he says, oh, it's the killer ant of the Australian who sometimes can be six inches long and his bite is this and that. Goes on for ages. And then he's really happy, thinking no one's run the book. And then the bloke goes, no, it's the elephant. Right? <laughs> Norris gets really angry and says, well, that's just stupid. <laughs> and then he goes, no, 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 give me the book. I've won a book. And he goes, no, cut him off. Right? <laughs> So you can see that, what I've just told you, enacted on the Norris McWhirter Chronicles. It's available on YouTube, and I did it. And what was, what was also ridiculous about that was Sky did this thing called Christmas Crackers, and they were asking people to do autobiographical films. So I did that. I just recreated that whole story that I've just told you. But what I didn't realise is they were called Christmas Crackers. They were meant to be Christmas stories. It had nothing to do with Christmas. So just at the end of it, I say, Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's it. Well, you get to Norris Berta. What was the best Christmas? <laughs> it was the first Christmas. The, first. the one with Jesus at his birthday. It should have been, he should have had freedom except for Nelson Mandela on his yeah. birthday. <laughs> yeah, don't free Nelson Mandela. Do you remember that song he did with the specials? <laughs> Imagine if he'd done that. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. He got angry about freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Don't free him, no. I don't like him. History would have... He'd have been on the wrong side of history. Yeah. And he was wrong about the yurts as well. I don't trust wrong. that man That's the thing, he was wrong about that too. Because we live in the same houses as we did then. <laughs> oh, dear, good. It's time to go. It is time to go. I think, unfortunately, there's a lot more to talk to you about, but we'll have you back in another I've five really years. I've really enjoyed it, yeah, five years. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it. Ladies and go. gentlemen, it's David Baddiel. Thank I've been listening to Richard Aaron's That's the Square Theatre Podcast with me, Richard Aaron, and my guest, David Baddiel. The music's by Pest. Thank you to everyone at the That's Square Theatre. Thank you to everyone at iTunes. Thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide. Thank you to everyone at YouTube. Thank you to everyone at Go Fast and Stripe. Especially Chris Evans. Not that one, or that one, or any of the politician ones. Here's the one in Wales. 
That one, yeah, there's only one in Wales. That one, that's the guy I'm talking about. It was produced by Ash Caffrey. It is a Fuzz, Go Faster Stripe and Sky Potato production. Hey, thanks for listening. Do come and see me at the Edinburgh Fringe if you can. My show's called Oh Frig, I'm 50, and I'm doing a Rich Herring's Edinburgh Fringe podcast as well. Check richherring.com slash gigs for details. Do buy an emergency questions book if you haven't already. It's a lot of fun. Go to gofasterstripe.com slash EQ, and you can buy one of those. Thank you very much. Bye.